All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Happy New Year's as well, um, for me to you. And uh, thank you, Marty. And my name is Jacob Ardron, and I, alongside my spectacular wife, Tiffany, I'll be the college minister here in Lifeway. And uh, excited to be here this new year. Hopefully, your new year's been pretty good so far. Mine's been pretty, I say, interesting. Already some ups, already some downs. It started pretty um, pretty great. I got to uh, spend a lot of time with the college ministry, who my wife and I missed a lot because we took a 10-day vacation in the East Coast. And so we got to spend time with them, and that was great. But then on Friday, I had a two-hour-long dental procedure on my two front teeth. Um, so for those who don't know, I lost my two front teeth uh, my senior year in high school, actually twice in the same year. And... Um, as with most injuries, there's kind of after effects as the years go on. And so I guess one of my front teeth got infected. And so usually when you lose teeth, you don't, don't lose the whole entire thing. Your old tooth's pretty long. It's about this, this tall. Okay. You only lose part of it. But now my part of my tooth got infected, so now I lost the whole thing. And so they had to take the whole thing out. And I asked for them to give it to me. And so I have it now. And uh, trying to convince the wife to have me hang it up somewhere in the house. We'll see. But um, that was painful, a long process, and now I have this kind of weird, like, retainer-like thing, like a temporary cap, so hopefully that doesn't come out as I preach today. So, so that was a low light of the year so far, but then yesterday morning was a highlight, because uh, many of us from the church all around Lifeway went to uh, go on a hike, a prayer hike, um, at the Griffith Park to go see the, the Griffith Observatory and the Hollywood sign, so that was cool, that was a highlight. But then, later on that night, I had a low light because I'm a Redskins fan, and the Dallas Cowboys won the first playoff game. So that was unfortunate for me. Hopefully this morning's a highlight, and we have a good sermon today. Amen? So, please turn to Luke 13. The title of my lesson today is One More Year. One More Year. But I want to give a little warning before I start this lesson, because uh, most of my lessons I give are personal. They're me preaching to me. Because I need that, I need to be humbled, and it's good for me. But this lesson is especially personal, because we're going to focus on a passage today that I look at every single year for probably the past seven years to reignite my faith and get me focused and get me fired up and inspired. But it's a warning because I know what inspires me is probably what, what probably not what naturally inspires many of you. Because I come from a football background, and I've learned to be inspired by possibly harsh and heavy-handed tactics. Yeah. I've been used to hearing things like, Argeron, what are you doing? Don't be weak. Play harder. Be the hammer, not the nail. Right? And so, I've learned to take those challenges head-on and find encouragement from it when some people, it can be harsh. And the passage we're reading today is a harsher passage. If you're there right now, Luke 13, okay. read the heading. For my heading, it says, repent or perish. That is a, a hard-line passage right there. And probably not something we, we normally read at church. And uh, there's actually a mini parable in this passage that probably doesn't make any of your top favorite parables lists. It's a parable of the barren fig tree, and it's a small one, four verses, but definitely packs a punch. And so I'm going to try to make this passage inspiring for all of us today. But at the very least, it's going to be very challenging. And that's good for us because we, we need to be challenged in the new year, right? To make some changes. And so, again, the title of the lesson is one more year. So let's start off from Luke 13 in verse 1. 
So, now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all those other Galileans, because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So just a few verses in, and it's already getting pretty dark here. So, some Jews come up and tell Jesus about these Galilean Jews who were murdered, and their blood was mixed with Roman sacrifices by the governor Pilate, who was a harsh and obviously a horribly mean guy. But the Jews have this weird custom where they thought that tragedies only happened to those who sinned the worst. So they didn't bring it up to Jesus as in kind of a grieving moment, like, oh, Jesus, you hear about the Galileans? That's really sad. They're more like, hey, Jesus, you hear about those Galileans? What did they do to warrant that terrible of a death? But Jesus flips on them and says, hey, don't worry about them. Worry about you. You need to repent or you will perish. So he flips it on them and has them think about their own life and what they need to change and stop thinking about others. He continues his discourse in verse 4 of Luke 13. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So he brings up another incident that must have happened recently. Where 18 people uh, got killed by a tower falling on them. That's sad. I guess the architecture wasn't great back then. And he's like, do you think those 18 people are like the worst sinners of all Jerusalem? No, that's not the case. They died because it was their time to die. You focus on you. You need to repent or you too will perish like them. So Jesus just finishes telling these people twice the need for them to repent. And then he leads to this mini parable. And for those who don't know, a parable is a story that represents something spiritual. And usually the characters represent either God or us. And sometimes Jesus gets a little spawn there. This is a mini, mini four-verse parable. And it's talking about the importance of repenting. So, Luke 13, let's, let's pick up here in verse, verse 6. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. And haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So pretty simple story. We got two men, uh, one's the owner of this vineyard, and he noticed one tree that's not bearing any fruits. And he keeps going back to that same tree for three years, no fruits. So he tells his gardener, hey, cut this thing down. It's a waste of space. But the gardener has some compassion for the tree. No, 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 wait, one more year. Let me work on this thing. Let me work on it. And see if it bears fruit next year. If it does, great. We'll celebrate. If not, then you can cut it down. Simple story, but the ramifications are huge. Because who are the characters represent? Well, the owner's God, that's obvious. He's always the master in the story. The gardener is Jesus, because Jesus is interceding, interceding on our behalf. What does that mean we are? 
We are the fig tree. The one that God is expecting to bear fruit and is willing to cut down if we're not. Whoa, man. So when I first read this at 17 years old, it scared me to death. Because I read it around the time of New Year's and I read it around the time I was about to be a three-year-old disciple. Man, it's been three years. Oh my goodness, it's been three years. I have done nothing with my life. I've not borne any fruit. God's going to cut me down, is what I thought after reading this. So the next week, I started to go crazy and hound on my friends to get in Bible studies. and Because uh, I thought the only way to bear fruit as a disciple was to make disciples. And to that point, I had a lot of Bible studies with my high school friends, but no actual making disciples have happened. No one got baptized. And I thought that was my fruit to bear. I didn't really count the other church friends that I helped out because really, I knew it was kind of more their parents than me. And I'm just the kid who's in the Bible study. just a team minister. And so I wanted a personal fruit of my high school friends. And so I tried over the years, all three years, but I got discouraged because nothing happened yet. So midway through my senior year, I was already discouraged. Now I'm discouraged and terrified. So... There you go. And so I started to freak out more and more. Eventually, I told my team worker in the team ministry what I was going through. Uh, his name was Daniel Guzman. Some of you may know him. He's a USC alum. So he was my team worker at the time. I said, Daniel, this is what I read. Please help me bear fruit or God's going to smite me. Um, and he helped me realize that, Jake, it's bearing fruit's more than just making disciples of your high school, man. It's Ever heard of the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, faithfulness. Thank you, wife. <laughs> you heard of those things, right? Well, that's, that's the fruits of the Spirit. Have you grown in any of those things since you became a disciple? No. Yeah, maybe. Okay, well, you're fine, man. Making disciples is, is a result of bearing fruits. Bearing fruit is just an just expression for showing that you're a faithful, spiritually growing disciple yeah. who's grateful to be part of the kingdom of God and is growing in whatever way God wants you to grow. I'm like, okay, that's fair. So it encouraged me a little bit. But still, I still let this passage motivate me. Because even when I found out it meant the fruits of the Spirit and other things, I still thought that I had more potential to grow than I have been to this point. So I still made my senior year about me growing more than ever before. And so I'm not taking advantage of God's grace and mercy. And I grew a ton that year, especially in humility. And uh, I was actually able to baptize two of my friends before I left. And that was pretty cool in high school. So I look at this passage numerous times since. And it feels like every time I read it, I'm more inspired. I always learn new, different things. And I ultimately learn new things I need to work on and change in the next year. And I know that some commentators actually believe this passage talks about God and the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation is the fig tree. And God's given the Jewish nation three years to repent and change in the three years of the ministry of Jesus. But not many Jews have become disciples yet. And Jesus is asking God, hey, give me one more year. One more year to reach out to these Jews and we'll see what happens here. So, But most commentators believe that it's a dual meaning. It can apply to the nation of, of Judea, but it also can still apply to us. And where we're at with God right now. And here's one truth that I got from studying this passage out that I think we all can agree on. 
I hope this can be the main teaching that we focus on for the rest of the day. And that's a lesson that this parable teaches me, that our God is a God of second chances. But those chances have a limit, and they come with expectations. Again, our God is a God of second chances, but those chances have a limit, and they come with expectations. I'll focus on the limit part first, because for some that might be kind of heretical, kind of a, a harsh teaching. How can you limit God, right? Yeah, we can't limit God. God is limitless. His love is everlasting. His mercy is unfailing. But we are not. We are finite. We have a limited amount of days on this earth. Therefore, we have a limit to the chances God gives us. This fig tree only had one more year. I have no idea how many more years we have on this earth. I hope it's a lot more than one one more year. Hopefully it's many, many years for most of us here. And that's maybe some of the little kids in here, the teens, could uh, maybe make it to the next century, 2100. That would be crazy. But for most of us, we're going to probably not make that. (laughs) But either way, we all have a finite amount of chances to produce for God. We don't have forever. Our chances are limited, and they come with expectations. God expects us to grow with the days and years that he gives us. So our God is a God of second chances, but we don't have forever. And he expects us to grow in the years that we have. This fig tree had one more year. Church, what were you doing this year? What does God expect from you this year? And God's giving you one more chance of this new year. What does he expect from you in return? You know, New Year's resolutions are a thing because I think that so many of us can think of so many different areas that we want to grow in, right? I know for me, my list usually consists of about 15 or 20 every year. And many of us could probably agree or relate. But this owner was looking for one very specific thing in the fig tree. He didn't look to how much it grew in size. He didn't look to see how green the leaves were. He didn't look to see how far the roots went in. He looked for, does this tree have fruits? Is it bearing fruits? And in the same way, God probably cares about very specific things about you and where you're at. And we all have different fruits to bear. All of our face are at different spots. We are at different levels of fig tree growth in our different stages. And so God's expectations for you are different for everyone else. But he still expects something from you this year. What is that, church? What is God concerned in in your life? And what's the error that he constantly keeps looking in year after year to see some fruits, but he keeps seeing nothing and it's barren? You know, for some of us, some of us, for some of us God is straining his eyes to see any signs of personal righteousness. He's saying, is this the year you're going to finally be honest about your sin? Get open and get help. And strive to be righteous before me. You know, for many of us, it is evangelism. I know I mentioned that a little bit earlier. It's not the only fruit, but it is a part of it. And many of us know that being a disciple, that's a huge part of being that, is going out and making other disciples. And I'm super excited that we have a whole theme based on that this year, to go out and make disciples. But most of us don't need a theme to realize that we've been barren in that area. For years, some of us, maybe it's been exactly three years that it's been that we've helped someone become a Christian. I bet some of us have still had a goose egg. We haven't helped anyone yet in our walk with God. I can tell you, church, that's something that God's looking at every year. 
is this person fulfilling their great commission I gave them to go out and make disciples? Where are they at in that? Speaking of making disciples, some of us have probably been teeter-teetering on the choice of becoming one, of committing to becoming a Christian. And coming to church for many, many years, many, many weeks, had a lot of Bible studies, but have failed to truly commit to really making this full-on choice to be committed to God. And God's expecting, hey, this can be your year. I want this to be your year. Guys, where are we at in that? And there's so many more things. I'll list off a couple here. If you haven't been able to shake off your addiction to pornography, God's giving you one more year to get open and to get rights and to conquer your impurity. If you haven't been consistent in your Bible reading and prayer life, God's giving you one more year to get disciplined and put him first on a daily basis. If you've been holding on to bitterness and anger and contempt and not forgiving one another, God's giving you one more year to get back to loving one another and forgiveness. If your work ethic has been slipping and poor and your first response to most of your responsibilities in life is laziness, God's giving you one more year to generate a hard work ethic and be someone with a serving, giving heart. And if you've been negligent to your spouse, your family, your friends, your finances, or whatever, God's giving you one more year to be a faithful steward of all that he's given you. God has given you one more year, guys. You have one more year to fix, change, or alter, or grow in whatever area God most desires you to grow in. What will you do with that year? And in my experience, it's usually not that hard to figure out what God wants us to work on. It's usually right here, just gnawing at your heart. I need to change this. I need to repent. It's usually pretty easy. Would this be the year you finally do it? And if you're actually struggling to think of something, then talk to someone who knows you well and is spiritually minded. And they'll give you something to work on, I guarantee it. And once we have an idea of what God wants us to bear fruit in, it just takes us buckling down and and facing it on and says, I will conquer this this year. It's going to happen. That's one more year. I know for me, I got one more year to be a better all-around disciple of Christ who puts him first in so many areas. I got one more year to be a better husband and to be able to speak the language my wife wants me, me to speak to her. I got a better, one more year to be a better campus minister that repents of my sin of faithlessness in so many areas. I feel like I've been faithless in many areas, guys. I have one more year to change in that. What will you do with your one more year? How will you grow? How will you change? And if you're finding a hard time to get motivation to, to do what God wants you to do this year, well, then we need to look to Jesus. Right. Going back to the parable in verse 8, the garter who... Most commentators, commentators would say represents Jesus is pleading with the master, hey, give me one more year of this guy. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me see what I can do with this tree. If you're struggling in your heart to do the things that God wants you to do, you need to go one smack more to Jesus and have him dig around your heart and fertilize it and help you get back to growing. Please turn to John 15. So, for the rest of this lesson, I just want to focus on Jesus. And John 15 is a great one to talk about that. And um, hopefully you already feel challenged, but we're going to end on inspiration. Amen?